live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. I know it was a very difficult Mother's Day for a lot of moms out there who are used to being able to actually gather together with your kids or maybe your grandkids and and get together in the large settings, maybe go out to a brunch, uh, and and that did not happen this year, and I know it was extremely tough. Um, Bottom line is this, too, shall pass. So um, I know it was a Mother's Day unlike any other, but at the same time, we're getting through this. Now, one of the things that I do every week is I, I monitor the week-to-week numbers in Wisconsin. And um, I, I will tell you, I, there's a number of what I believe are encouraging trends if the powers that be were to pay attention. One of the biggest trends that is out there is our capacity for testing. If testing is the key to getting through this, the, cap- the number of tests being given is increasing dramatically. For example, last week, Saturday to Saturday, there were 26, approximately 26,000 new tests that were administered during that week. To give you an idea, the week before, there were 18,000 new tests. The week before that, there were 14,000 new tests. So we are seeing people tested dramatically greater numbers. And my guess is that's going to do nothing but continue, given the fact that now you have the various COVID-19 testing stations that are being opened up. So testing increasing dramatically, that is a good sign. Even with substantially increased testing, and if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've, I've, I've got the breakdown, and I do this every Saturday afternoon. Um, Even with substantially increased testing, like I say, there were 26,000-plus new tests administered last week, Saturday to Saturday. Even with substantially increased testing, 49 Wisconsin counties, 49, and there's 72 counties in the state, 49 still reported 10 or fewer new COVID-19 cases. So the the bottom line is, in, in large parts of the state, there, there, there is not this huge epidemic of COVID-19 cases. In another 12 cases, there were another 12 counties. There were 20 or fewer. So that's 61 counties where, even with dramatically increased testing, you have 20 or fewer new cases. If you look at where the new cases last week of COVID-19 came, you are once again seeing a pattern for now the second, third week in a row. of the new COVID-19 cases came from Brown County and Milwaukee counties. Those two counties accounted for 55% of all the new cases in the entire state. And we know a lot of that is as a result of outbreaks at a couple meatpacking facilities. So it's localized to that extent. And then if you add in Racine and Kenosha counties, So add Racine and Kenosha to Brown and Milwaukee, and you find that 73%, almost three-quarters 
of all new cases come from these four counties. And that's pretty consistent with what it was two weeks ago. So you, you are seeing that this pattern and this trend to the extent that there is a significant growth in COVID-19 cases. It, it, it Again, it's Milwaukee, Brown, it's Racine, and Kenosha counties to a lesser extent. And if you want to figure out where those numbers are coming from, again, it's the meat facilities. It, it Not exclusively, but by and large. And so that, that tells you that... You know, if you want to see a drop in, that tells you, I guess, to me, that just looking at statewide numbers and turning on the evening news and saying, okay, well, there were X number of new cases today, for example, that doesn't tell us what we really need to know. What we need to know is where are these cases coming from and where do we think the causes of these cases are? If there's an outbreak, for example, in a meat facility, well, that tells you that, okay, we, we've got to pay more attention to making sure that people who are working in those meat processing plants have the, the safety stuff that they need. That's what I think the focus needs to be. But once again, the number's pretty consistent. This problem is, I don't want to say isolated, but the majority of the problem is in a couple counties in the state. And actually, there, there's some counties, I mean, Dane County, which is just huge, Dane County seeing very, very little growth a, at all um, of of COVID-19. They had 32 cases in all of Dane County, new cases, you know, last year, so last week. So those are, I, I think they are somewhat encouraging numbers that are out there. At the same time, People are starting, let's be honest, people are starting to rebel with a lot of the restrictions that are in place. And, and my guess is maybe maybe you are to an extent, maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you've decided, you know, I'm it's Mother's Day, I'm I'm gonna have my kids over and, and, and we're going to we're gonna share a meal together. Maybe it's well, okay, it's been six weeks, I'm gonna walk down the street and I'm gonna have dinner with the neighbors. You know, we're we're not gonna hug, we're not gonna shake hands, but we are going to interact a little bit. Maybe you're one of the people who and I know there are some of you out there who figured out, I don't know, ways to get kind of black market haircuts. Um, and I, 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 I know some people who, and I'm not one of them. I'm, I mean, I'm not one of them, even though I desperately need a haircut. But I know some people who found barbers or hairdressers that are, are, are willing to provide services, you know, kind of keep it closed. But, you know, they, they, they sanitize the place, and, and they've been willing to do that. And I sense that there's more and more of that stuff going on. Now, there's a story in the Madison paper today about this. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's a biker bar slash restaurant outside of Beaver Dam. They've reopened. They're allowing people to come in. They say, we, we know what the orders are, but we're, we are, you know, we're going bankrupt. And so we're, we are opening up. There's another story I'm looking at about how this breakfast cafe in Colorado decided, hey, it's, it's the same thing. We cannot, we're on the verge of going bankrupt. If we close, you know, if we don't open our doors now, we're going to go under. So, you know, they've opened up, and I'm looking at pictures. The place was absolutely packed as people were going back there. A um, couple stories I'm looking at about Texas, where you have Texas salon owners. You've heard that. Other bars, places opening up as the owners say, look, we just don't think this is fair. 
that you know we've now been ordered to be closed for six weeks or eight weeks, whereas people can go to a hardware store or people can go to Costco or people can go to Fleet Farm or people can go to Metro Mart or people can go to all these people can go to all these different places and they can interact and they can patronize these places, but you know they can't come to our place. And so what you have is a number of these places are, are starting to rebel and they're starting to open up. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, how sustainable is a continued lockdown? By that I mean if, if this safer-at-home, stay-at-home order stays in place for another week or two, do you think that there's going to be more businesses and more people who simply just rebel, say, we don't, we're, we're, we understand we've got to practice social distancing. You know, we, we understand that, you know, we're, we're not going to be hugging. We understand that we have to have the sanitizer and things like that. But we're not willing to simply, I don't know, from the perspective of businesses, we're not willing to have our businesses go under from the perspective of people who want to get out and start to live a reasonably normal life, they're, they're going to do it. Because, like I say, these restaurants, a ton of people have decided to patronize them. Like I say, people I know getting those quote-unquote black market haircuts. How much longer is safer at home, quote-unquote, going to be sustainable? And I ask this because the reality is, it's very apparent to me, that, that the number of coronavirus cases are, are going to be out there. I mean, coronavirus, especially as we get more testing, the, the number of people who contract it, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to go down dramatically any time in the next week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. The more people that get tested, I would expect that the numbers, at least the raw numbers, are going to do nothing but go up. All right, how sustainable is this isolation that we're being put in. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And in particular, are you ready to rebel, or do you think more people are going to rebel? Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Um, if you want to join us, our number, 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Interesting. One of our texts, because I, I think one of the reasons I think you're going to start to see more and more people rebel the longer this goes on is I, I think there's a lot of people that say, well, well, wait a second. Why can't I open my business when Fleet Farm is open or when there, there's 500 people in the Costco parking lot, but I, I can't open my business or I can't open my facility? Um, and one of the texts says, poorly run businesses will fail one way or another. Two weeks more won't save them. Huh. So if if it's interesting because the texter apparently thinks that, you know, if, if your business has been closed or you have been out of work for like a six weeks, another two weeks isn't going to make any difference. Um, interesting story on the front page of the Wall Street Journal talking about how factory closers um, are becoming permanent shutdowns which is a sign of the heavy damage that the coronavirus pandemic is exerting on the economy. Makers of dishwashers in North Carolina um, shutting down. Furniture foam in Oregon shutting down. Cutting boards in Michigan. I don't know that these are poorly run businesses. It's just that businesses, if you tell them you can't get any money coming in for a prolonged period of time, that their, their business model becomes unsustainable. Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, two points. Scott. 
one is like that bar that was open. Um, it kind of reminded me, like it was an example. It's like you're not following the rules, just like drinking and driving. You're going there, you're risking contamination, you're spreading, and you don't care there. You probably don't care when you're at Walgreens, when you're at Farm and Fleet, when you're at the grocery stores, and possibly infecting people that do care. And secondly, what if it's illegal? You're, you're becoming an attractive. So you're not following the rules. You're attracting people there. And if it gets traced back to your business, what is your legal liability if someone does get sick, someone does die, or you infect 60, 70, 80 people? You know, is it the bar? Is it the distributor of the liquor and the alcohol? Is it Cisco that delivered the food? Um, you know, where where does this end? And, you know, well, I feel bad for or, these businesses, but... Or is it the risk of the person who decided that they were going to leave their home and go to the bar? I, th- thanks for the call. I mean, look, I, I, th- those are, I mean, I guess those, those are issues to, to sort out. I, but I think, you know, what is going on here is I think people, most people are trying to follow the rules. I, I believe that that's the case. And I would never for one minute condone the places that are opening in violation of the rules. And, and quite candidly, I mean, the, the remedy for them, I, I think, is if, if you're a bar, perhaps you put your liquor license in, in jeopardy if you decide that I'm going to open without the rules. If you are a, you know, a, a hairdresser, a beautician, and you open and you decide that I'm going to do these haircuts and, and somebody decides that they're going to dime you out, I mean, that, that's what the risk ends up being. But I am just saying that as a practical matter, there, you, you've got to figure out a way to reopen the, the state. Because coronavirus is going to be with us. I mean, that's just that's just the reality. And, you know, when, when we started all this stuff, the whole idea was let's make sure the hospital system isn't overwhelmed. Well, the hospital system isn't overwhelmed. But if the idea is, you know, we're going to expect businesses to stay closed for a year, we're going to expect people not to go out and see their kids for a year or a year and a half or two years until there's a vaccine, I, I just don't think that's sustainable. Now, I think most people, not all, I think most people get the idea of social distancing and, and understand their own comfort level now that's not not everybody i mean candidly you know so you let the you let the furniture store that you've had closed you know because it's non-essential or the florist store shop you know that's been ordered to be closed because it's non-essential you let that open up to foot traffic and and i i don't think people are going to behave any differently in that store than they are at the, the metro mart or the aldi's or the costco or or whatever i think at some point in time you have to start giving people credit but the truth of the matter is a especially as the weather gets nicer and people want to get out and about more, that it becomes these orders, I think that people bought into it the first place once they start saying, hey, there, there's really no end to this. I mean, what what is exactly the end game? Is the end game when the number of COVID you know, cases go down, but yet at the same time with more testing, there's more COVID cases that are out there. I, I think there needs to be a middle ground which is out there. And I do think there's a lot of people that are asking some, some pertinent questions like, okay, I, I'm a golfer. That's great. You know, you, you've now allowed the golf courses to open, but you can't go inside the pro shop to use the bathroom or to, to buy a sleeve of golf balls. But wait, I can go to Costco, and I can walk into the Costco, and I can stand in line with 500 of my closest friends to buy that same sleeve of golf balls. And I think, you know, it, it, it's that inconsistency. 
uh, that that I think is driving a lot of people that that's I think driving a lot of people into I don't know if anarchy is the right word, but that are starting to rebel about this, saying, look, we we have to come up with stuff that makes sense. Now, to me. Limiting capacity at places makes sense to me. Encouraging, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put those little lines on the chalk on the floor where you know you can't be within six feet of each other. I think that that's kind of the new normal that's out there. But I think that's a superior alternative to say the the idea of okay, we're just gonna like order all this stuff, you know, shut down because it's again not sustainable if you continue to do that um and again there there's there are places where you know there, there's not going to be social distancing there was a, a drive-in in Oconomowoc maybe you saw it there was a drive-in Oconomowoc that was open on Saturday night for for curbside takeout and, and what they had is they had people that were pulling up and they were getting out of their cars and they were heaven forbid they were interacting with each other and the owner closed it down said look I, I just this is not the, the rules people aren't following the rules and I think the owner has every right to do that no question about it I guess my question was were the people that were in line were those people that were getting out of their cars and interacting with other people were there any more likely to either spread or get coronavirus by doing that than they were by going to the Aldi's or going to the Costco or or whatever. That, I think, is is the fundamental question that's out there. If we accept the idea that the number of coronavirus cases probably isn't going to go down anytime soon, that's just kind of the reality. There's a real interesting column that appeared in the Chicago Tribune today. I linked it um, on on my on my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I want to share it with you in just a, a little bit, or at least share a portion of it with you, because the columnist talks about that the whole concept of of risk and and how we balance risk and how the way this whole thing has, has shook has shaken out is there's. There's some people who are what he calls the coronavirus cates, the people who, like, stay in their house and, like, peer out from their windows and call the police when they see three kids walking down the street not six feet apart. Then there's the other group of people that are perceived as the ones of just just let them die. You know, let everybody go out, let everybody do their thing, and uh, only the strong survive. And, and I understand there, there's, there's two schools of thought, and the, the columnist poses the question about, isn't there really a middle ground? I'll share that with you in just a couple moments, and we'll discuss. Let's take a quick break. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 3 quick texts which set up the, the column I want to share with you in just a minute. Jeff, I'll answer your question with a question. How willing are we to tolerate a second wave of COVID that could be as deadly or more deadly than the first? Second text, Jeff, none of this is sustainable. There were more cars on the road Saturday than I've seen in weeks. I saw lots of small, low-key backyard gatherings on Saturday. We only have five months of great weather in the state. The nicer it gets, the more people will rebel. I get keeping people safe, but being cooped up in the house for over eight weeks isn't good for people's mental health, not to mention the, the half a million people who are unemployed as a result of that. Jeff, um, I don't know about being rebellious, but we need to wake up. This will be here forever. We need to learn to live with it and adapt. So that sets the stage for this piece I want to share with you in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 
So very glad to have you with us. Okay, I have a link to this column, and I don't typically read columns, but it appears by John Cass, who is a conservative columnist, writes for the Chicago Tribune. And I I think it's interesting and it's thought-provoking. I have a a link to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. But I want to share a portion of it with you and then react and get your reaction. Its headline is, Americans are too afraid of risk. What we need in this pandemic is balance. Are we still all in this together? Stay safe? Are you serious? We're reaching Great Depression levels with 20 million jobs lost in April alone. The unemployment rate is 14.7%, but I feel the real unemployment rate is larger. All this economic ruin is due to the governor shutting down commerce to fight the coronavirus to prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed. But maybe extreme social isolation of isolation of the young and healthy wasn't the wisest course. What happened to balance? We've lost our sense of balance in this viral panic. Some will never get their old jobs back. Others are content to take the government unemployment checks and other federal assistance and figure they'll seek work after those checks stop coming in. But there might not be jobs available when they feel like working again. Small business owners are being flattened by the minute. The economy is in a tailspin. You don't start the economy up again by saying a few magic words and snapping your fingers. The economy is in a light switch. You don't turn it back on once it's been shut down. And we don't have years to wait for a vaccine. Already people are pushing against the shutdown, defying government orders, and the more idiotic politicians will push back with law enforcement, which just increases the chaos. Stay safe. Now, this is the column. Stay safe. Who is safe? Who was ever safe? For decades now, we've taught ourselves to fear so many things, even risk itself. Risk was once the very idea of America. Your parents or grandparents may have risked everything to get here just so they could risk even more. Yet risk is now a dirty word. Generations have been taught that liberty isn't important and that government must protect us from cradle to grave. We want safe spaces. We all want to, quote-unquote, stay safe. Yes, the coronavirus has caused death, and yes, death is to be avoided. I feel positively foolish for writing that sentence. But if I didn't, there would be outrage, and I would be deemed insensitive. I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want you to die or become ill, and if you've lost someone dear to you, I am very sorry. A few among you might not mind if this verbal, if this vir- viral boomer remover worked its magic on me, but I hope that's only a small, bitter handful of people. Um, the problem is that the mortgage and rent comes due, and we're not all in this together, are we? Government doesn't cut its budgets or lay off political workers, even if they're sitting at home watching Netflix just like you. They're still getting paid, but if you've lost your job or your business, Government still wants your tax dollars, so we aren't all in this together. Let's stipulate that so far some 70,000 Americans have died from the coronavirus, and many more will die if we dare leave our homes and go back to work. But how many more will die from alcoholism, drug addiction, suicide, stress, domestic battery, and on and on in a depression that would hollow out the American people? How many of us have already been pushed towards death by binge eating while watching a steady shrieking stream of coronavirus fear porn on the TV news and avoiding a visit to the doctor for fear of contracting the disease? What I'm asking is that we at least think about something we've lost besides jobs and our economic future and the Bill of Rights. Balance. All I see is the imposition of extremes. Those of us who want to get the country back to work are portrayed as selfish fools who just want people to die. 
and those who never want the lockdown to end are dismissed as fearful coronavirus Karens, peering through their windows, calling the police if they see someone walking on the street without a mask. Please don't tell me to stay safe. I don't wish to be rude, but bleeding stay safe at me is infuriating. I won't tell you to stay safe. You know why? Because I have faith you are a rational person who can modify your behavior. And I hope you have faith that I'm someone who I'm not someone who just wants people to die. No one has ever been safe, except perhaps on a Hallmark card. Speaking of which, if you really want a coronavirus refrigerator refrigerator magnet cliche, how about this? End coronavirus, fear porn now, turn off the TV news, and seek balance, which is the, the overall point. Seek balance. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I found this to be interesting because I, I guess one of the things that I've seen so far is, is that we, we've, maybe this is all part of like the polarization that we see in this country nowadays, but it's either we have to cower behind the closed windows. We can't be, a, we can't interact. We can't go out because we're afraid that we might get sick or we might get somebody else sick. Versus, and then the other extreme is, hey, let, let's 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 bring back the let's bring back the giant concerts and let's let's have you know forty thousand people pile into Alpine Valley or or whatever. Isn't there a middle ground? And, and I guess that's one of the things that's been a little bit frustrating to me. Isn't there a middle ground? Isn't there a sense of balance out there? Isn't there a degree of risk that that we get? We get to manage that idea that, okay, I understand that there is there is a risk if I go to the grocery store. There is a risk if I go to Menards. There is a risk if I go to Costco. But I'm willing to accept that 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 risk. Okay, so so maybe maybe I should be able to accept that risk if I want to go get my hair cut. And, and maybe somebody else thinks that that's an unreasonable risk and that they would never, never, ever do it. And, and that's fine. Nobody's going to make them go get the haircut. It, isn't there a balance? And can't we can't we work out the differences between the, the people who who don't want to go out and want to stay safe and and just don't want to interact with anybody for the, the next year, two years, whatever, until you you get the vaccine, assuming it comes there again? Versus the hey, let's let's go out and let's pile four hundred people into a sports bar that fits you know two hundred and fifty, and let's all belly up to the bar. Uh, isn't there a balance in between? Because I guess I, I'm in that middle area. You know, do I do I want to go and, and be a, among a, a huge crowd and be interacting in long lines? And the answer is no. I, I'm, I don't feel comfortable doing it. I'm not going to do it for a while. At the same time, if I'm willing to take the risk to, again, go get my hair cut, Shouldn't I be able to do that? Isn't there the balancing that is out there, especially if the whole goal behind this was to stop the health system from being overwhelmed with patients, which so far we, we have done? Can't we maintain the idea of, hey, wash your hands, you know, when, when you touch stuff? Or, you know, let's, let's try to keep a, a distance apart from that. Are you really more likely to get sick if you, you know, go over to your friend's house for, for dinner than you are if you stand in line at the Walmart with 300 people that you, you don't know. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to uh, Bill and Racine. Bill, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got one point. It's, it seems like they're going to try to open a lot of the doors on May 26th. 
And my observation is uh, May 25th, the day before that, is Memorial Day. And I've spent more than 30 years every Memorial Day doing a Memorial Day service outside, mainly paying tribute to, tribute to the veterans. Right. Um, it's outside. We can be spaced out. They're digitally... Uh, I don't know what we can do with that, but uh, we've had congressmen and senators be sure. guest speakers and all that, and that's just kind of seems like maybe that's unfair. Well, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I just don't see. I, I mean, I I don't know about large outdoor gatherings. I mean, even even e- even if the Supreme Court were to rule this afternoon that the governor's authority doesn't extend, you know, beyond what Wednesday or something of this week, or even if. The governor doesn't reinstitute or put in new safer at home things, which I think is, is kind of un- unlikely. Um, if he's dis- if it's determined he has the authority, as far as the the large outdoor gatherings, you know, even the ceremonies you're talking about, I I, I don't see it happening. I was talking to um, yesterday. We were we were FaceTiming with a, a with very very dear friends of ours who live in um, outside of Green Bay. And the, the community they live in has a, has a big festival and a parade every year. And I, you know, we went up to it last year and just had a blast. And I was saying, you know, we intended to go back, but I'm saying I just don't, I don't see how this is going to happen in, in July because even if the government allows this to occur, a, a larger outdoor gathering, I just don't see people. I don't see people attending. So, to, you know, to answer your question directly, I, I mean, I, I the Memorial Day ceremonies, I, I just. I am skeptical of of all this, um, even in the outdoor sort of setting. But but at that that being said, again, can't you get into one of these situations where again you you balance the risk? You you have the outdoor, you've got the the Memorial Day ceremony. People attend, they space themselves out. You can certainly do that, and, and then you know you're able to have this happen. And is by somebody attending a Memorial Day event with again practicing some distance. Are they really exposing themselves to any more danger than they are when they go stand in line at the Costco on, on a weekend? 855-616-1620. Larry in Greenfield. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks for Hi. having me on. Um, sure. On the 23rd, we're scheduled to have our daughter's wedding. And uh, the venue we were supposed to be in for the reception has canceled on us. They have at over 300 people they can hold, and now people are just scared, so we'll probably have 50 to 75 people in there. And then the church, she can't even have her wedding in the church right now because, you know, with more than 10 people. Well, our church will probably hold 300 people. We can social distance, but we're all told because of the government, you know, directive, we can't do that. I mean, the Poor girl and her husband have been, you know, for a year, to, and they're just devastated, and we don't know what to do. Yeah, no. Well, th- thanks. And I wish I could give thanks to call. I wish I could give you advice, but th- that's the whole idea between like like the balancing, and I, I think we we've kind of lost that in a way that the balancing of of, of risk versus okay, let's. 
let, we've, we've got the tent. Let, let's, let's say, you know, it's, let's say you, you want to put up a big tent out, outside in, in your backyard and you want to have, I don't know, a hundred people that are going to be there. Oh, okay. You know, you're going to be outside. It's going to be like one of those type of things. Matter of fact, I know somebody who's planning on getting married in, in early September. They're going to be doing big tents and stuff like that. It's not necessarily like people are going to be crammed in next to each other. And, and and first of all, and for example, people who are uncomfortable with that, well, then they're not going to come anyways. They're going to send send their gifts. How do you figure out what that balancing is between, you know, risk? And by the way, you know, if you've got people on on the guest list, for example, who are the the most vulnerable, you know, the the people who and we can we know what the age we know the people who are most vulnerable to have really really adverse consequences and nobody wants to get sick but most people you're, you're going to get sick and, and you're going to get better the the deal is that it's a certain groups of people if you get sick it's a really really bad thing so for for those folks and it, it increases with age and then you add in diabetes and hypertension and obesity and all those different types of things for those folks it, it becomes even riskier and so hey stay at home don't don't go to the thing but how do we find that that balance that's out there and i think that's what the challenge is moving forward it's balance it's fairness it's working out risk saying okay is it really more risky to do this than it is to go to the grocery store or to go and stand in line at Walmart. Yeah, and you have to be consistent. And, and that's, I think, what the challenge is. And I think the people that are imposing the restrictions, they've got to figure that out sooner rather than later as, as time goes on, especially if I'm right, looking at these numbers, and as more testing goes on, you, you continue to get you know more reported cases of COVID-19. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the frustrating things to me about this this entire, the, the last two months, and it, it's state governments, local governments, national government, has been we, we've sort of taken this one-size-fits-all uh, approach without trying to really figure out where, you know, where the problem is. One of the, the latest stories that are out there is, is remember at the beginning of this pandemic, there was this uh, obsession about ventilators? And, and that, it seemed to me like every time you turned on the television and President Trump had one of those interminable news conferences, it was a question about ventilators, ventilators, and where do we have these ventilators, and do we have enough, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well now there's more and more stories out there about doctors saying, we, we don't use ventilators. This was, we've decided this is not the way to, to treat it. Gosh, story front page of the Wall Street Journal. Ventilator you scaled back. It's another medical mystery of the coronavirus pandemic. Large numbers of COVID-19 patients arrive in the hospitals with blood oxygen levels so low they should be unconscious. Instead, they are awake and talking, not struggling to breathe, and nobody quite knows. And so all these doctors are now saying, no, we're, we're not putting people on, on ventilators. It's just again, and, and it, people are well-intentioned. It's just like we're, we're I think one of the things that's frustrating to me is that we, we are, are not adapting to what the numbers, for example, show us. And the first thought was, okay, well, we, we, we've got to have all these ventilators. But now they're saying, well, okay, vent- ventilators might not work. You know, the Journal Sentinel had a really p- interesting piece over the weekend that kind of dovetails on some of the points I've been trying to make over the last couple of weeks. What, what they did is they said, let's, let's look at the deaths in Wisconsin from COVID-19. Because, look, again, nobody wants to get sick. We, we all understand. It. You know, nobody wants to get sick. But you, you really, let's, uh, people, you get sick, 
you, you get better. That's just kind of the reality. Or there's some people, and where the death total I think is over 400 now. You know, let's let's look. What are the characteristics of the people who've gotten sick and haven't gotten better? And, and what they find is that um, most victims were male, about 60 percent. But but here's the thing: about 40 percent of the fatalities occurred among people who resided in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. So I mean that tells us that you have a, a very endangered population in, in the nursing homes and the assisted living facilities. So clearly, you've got to pay a lot of attention to that. You want, and, that, and again, again, that makes sense because the people that are living there tend to be older, and most of them probably have some of these multiple health complications, which makes it worse, which tells you if that's where 40% of the deaths are coming from, 40%, that tells you that, all right, we got to figure out what we can do to make that patient population safer. Okay, then, you know, they they go on to talk about how it's in nursing homes or assisted living facilities, and what they find is that almost everybody, almost everybody who has passed away from COVID-19 has suffered from one underlying health condition, at least one, and in many cases, multiple ones. Diabetes, high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, pulmonary disease, or obesity. So they're looking at the numbers, and and what they're seeing is 40% out of nursing homes, and almost every one of the deaths are in the population of people who, again, have one of these underlying health conditions. Okay, we, now, now, so what, what is our takeaway from that? Well, shouldn't the takeaway be for those people who are in the, who, who are in the most at-risk group, what we've got to do is we've got to figure out ways to protect them. And maybe for those people it means just like very, very limited contact. Maybe you can make the argument that somebody who fits into some of those different characteristics shouldn't be going out at all and interacting with anybody in the stores. At the same time, though, for people who aren't in those risk groups, all right, do you do you say you're going to be unemployed? We're going to just essentially eliminate your job or we're not going to let you go back to work if you're not in one of those again targeted risk groups and and nobody wants anybody to get sick i mean i understand that but isn't that all about the balance and the risk because for for most people you don't want to get this and most people aren't i mean we're looking at what like in the neighborhood of 10,000 cases there's 5.8 million people in wisconsin most people aren't going to get it because most people i think are going to be smart they're going to try to stay away they're going to practice the social distancing but don't we have to figure out a way to balance the risk with being especially concerned with those people for whom the outcome would be the worst. And isn't that where we should be concentrating the resources moving forward, given that we know, we know, we know that COVID-19 is going to be with us for the foreseeable future? Because, I mean, I guess if the idea is going to be we're going to keep businesses closed and tell people that that shelter in place and stay at home for the next year or year and a half, how sustainable is that? Just asking. When we come back, there are groups that not from a health perspective, but from an economic perspective that have been hit really hard. We're going to talk about one aspect of that. So stick around. It'll be interesting. I guarantee it. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So very glad to have you with us. I, I guess congratulations to the Milwaukee Admirals, um, minor league hockey franchise. The um, AHL has decided that there's really no point in trying to continue the, the season, which was suspended in March. And so they said, okay, we're going to focus on next year. The Admirals were had the best record at the time, and so the Admirals are the, the champions of the league. It, it really does underscore, though, if you're looking at some of these industries and these businesses are getting hurt, um, it, this is this is costing major league sports, whether it's the major league baseball or you know, international soccer or, of course, the NBA. This is costing billions of dollars. But a lot of those businesses that they have they have things like TV revenue and and huge merchandising merchandising things to to fall back on. The minor league teams, whether it's the Admirals, you know, minor league hockey, or or whether it's the countless numbers of, of minor league baseball teams we have scattered across this country and the state. Those are all businesses that depend heavily on on in-person attendance. You know, and, it, and for the Admirals, I, I think they were looking at uh, like three or four weekends in a row. And, of course, it's, you know, people go out more on weekends, like the Friday and Saturday night games. And they were coming up on a stretch of time where they had like lots of weekend games and stuff. And, you know, it, the revenue that they've lost Again, losing revenue is meaningful for any business. Don't get me wrong about that. But these minor league franchises that really depend on gate receipts to, to keep going really hits them hard. And so I, I'm sure canceling the season, which is probably the right thing to do, I mean, figure out how you can get started again next October makes more sense than trying to figure out how you can get people going to a, a hockey game in the middle of July. That So, I mean, it makes sense to sort of focus on that. But the, the revenue loss that these businesses take – just has to be huge. And the same thing true with these major league baseball teams, the minor league teams that have shortened seasons. And already, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we're pushing the middle of May with no idea as to how they, they might restart. Which brings me to what I want to talk to you about next. One of the cliches that, that is out there about dealing with COVID-19 and the coronavirus is we're, we're all in it together. And the answer is yes and, and no. The, the way I describe it is we might all be in the same swimming pool, but some people are in the shallow end and some people are in the deep end. For example, and I'll, I'll take my, my situation here. I'm in the shallow end. This is, it is an inconvenience to me, uh, essentially, the, you know, because I'm, I'm still working. And even if I wasn't working, I'm at the point in my life where I, I've, you know, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. It's an inconvenience. I, I don't get to go to the restaurants I like. I desperately need a haircut. I, I don't get to, you know, see my friends as much as, as I would. So it's an inconvenience, but, but that's all it is. But then there's a whole other group of people out there for whom it is much more than an inconvenience. You are not allowed to work. Um, and again, whether it's either the government order or simply because of the, the overall what what this has done to the, the market. Maybe you work for the airlines. And yes, the airlines can fly, but nobody's flying on the airlines. So as a result of that, you know, you, you've been laid off and you don't know when you're coming back. So th- there's, there's all sorts of different things. And maybe you're in that situation where you were living paycheck to paycheck, or maybe you had a little bit of a, of a cash cushion, but that's been gone because you have to pay the rent. You have to make the mortgage payments. You have to buy, buy the food. You've got to make the car payments. You know, you've, you've got to do all that stuff. 
So there's some people, again, for whom, well, okay, it's the it's an inconvenience. You want to get past it. And then there's other people for whom it's it's an economic, just absolute disaster causing all those those different stresses. So whenever I hear the cliche, well, we're all in this together, the answer is yes and, and, and no. And, and maybe we need to recognize that there are different situations, which brings me to the story about the people who have have lost their jobs. And one of the things that we have done collectively is we've decided, okay, we're, we're going to, you're, you're entitled to unemployment and, and some degree of compensation. And then the federal government has said, okay, we're also going to kick in the, this extra stuff. You get an extra $600 a, a week to kind of tide you over. And that plan goes through July. And it's one of these things that sounds absolutely tremendous on, on paper. But more and more stories are out there about how what, what sounds great on paper isn't, isn't working out in, in real life. And two days ago, the local newspaper had a great story about how people who have qualified for unemployment compensation and who've lost their jobs and who've applied for unemployment compensation ju- just haven't gotten it. Now, I, this is not to pick on the state bureaucrats. That, that's not the purpose of this. But, I mean, because I can understand the numbers are staggering. Apparently more than half a million claims for unemployment have yet to be processed. And that doesn't even include people who haven't been able to file a claim because they're, they're already trying to figure out how to navigate the, the online application you know, process. So there's all these people who are out there who are waiting, entitled to unemployment checks, need their unemployment checks, are waiting for their unemployment checks, and aren't getting their unemployment checks. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I know there is a degree of frustration that's out there because... You know, we, we talk a lot of times in, in general terms of the effect that this pandemic has had. And we, we talk about, you know, the, the theoretical thing. And, and the, the truth is, most people haven't gotten sick. Most people don't know anybody that's gotten sick. And because it's 5.8 million people in the state, there's, you know, we're pushing 10,000 identified cases that are out there. I, I think the flip side, though, is we... We, we don't also talk about the number of people who've, who've lost their jobs, who've been laid off. Because I know, look, I know there's a lot of you that, you know, because I, I, I hear from you, who will say, okay, it's, this life is normal for us. You know, we're in an essential business. Our factory is open. Our manufacturing facility is open. The store I work at is open. I drive a truck or whatever. It's open. I mean, I'm, I'm just going about my daily thing. So I know there's a number of people who, who, like me, are continuing to work. Maybe it's under a little bit different circumstance, but, but you know, you're, you're still continuing to work. You're still getting a paycheck. Maybe it's not as large as, as you used to get, but regardless, you're still getting that paycheck. But there's a lot of people out there who, who aren't in that situation and who haven't gotten the government benefits yet, and if they have gotten the government benefits, it's not enough to come close to making up what they've ended up losing. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk to you if you're one of those people that's in what I'm calling the deep end of the pool, <laughs> the, the folks that for whom th- this has been just a, a nightmare, just a complete and total economic nightmare. And I, in particular, if if you've had trouble getting the government benefits that you are entitled to, 
you know, what's going on? How frustrating has it been to have that? How widespread is this problem? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Jeff downtown. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I've been calling it in, oh, I don't know, for about 61 days. Uh, I've got about eight file claims in and zero money back. And when I do get a hold of somebody, they like to kick the can down to somebody else, adjudicators. Um, you know, it's just, and, and believe me, I've been very, very persistent on it, uh, more so than a lot of other people calling all day, calling at different times, just to get through. I can only imagine mm-hmm. people trying to start at the end of the line and get to the front now. It's just got to be like, <laughs> good luck. Okay, so you you've been you you've the way you calculate it, you're entitled for, you've been entitled for like the last eight weeks, and you haven't gotten anything. Nope. Okay, and 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 when you make, I'm just kind of curious when when you make the calls, when you when you get like a real person, when you talk to somebody, what do they tell you? They're going to look into your case, or or, or what uh, happens? Yeah, it's pending. We're looking into it. We're doing the best we can. I mean, I get all that, uh, but they need to do better. It doesn't it doesn't resolve anything. Then you go back and you look, and it's the same pending situation. I mean, they're, they're going to have to come to the, the grips up. They're going to have to work 24 hours, you know, first, second, and third shift, because otherwise, you, I mean, people are going to be in the streets for three months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get enough. No, th- thanks for the call. I, I get it. That and that's that. That's that's sort of the deep end. You know, you're you're unemployed. You're entitled to compensation. And look, and I, I don't want to turn this into a let, let's let's beat on the people at you know for state government who I'm sure are overwhelmed by by this and and the large number of claims that that happened all of a sudden because the economy just absolutely tanks. But you know there. There's a lot of. I don't think we're spending enough time talking about the other consequences of this, which are the economic consequences for the people who've lost their jobs. Maybe they've got haven't gotten the unemployment claims that they're entitled to, and, and maybe their jobs just aren't going to be there to go back to. All right, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're in that category, if you're in the deep end of the pool, I want to talk to you. We're going to discuss, continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Before we go back to the phone lines, just a couple texts. Jeff, my wife is a hairdresser. We have yet to get a stimulus check or any unemployment check. Seems like the state is just starting to address the backlog. Um, it's been seven weeks. Let's see, Jeff. I've been out since the end of January. I filed for unemployment. I haven't been able to reach anybody when I call. The call just drops off. Jeff, my wife is a self-employed hairdresser, been off the entire time, has filed for the pandemic unemployment assistance, has received nothing. They continue to say things are pending or being reviewed. This isn't how we planned on spending our savings. Jeff, I'm a hairstylist, own my own business. I have been denied three times from unemployment, hoping the fourth time is the charm. Today is eight weeks with no income. I have contacted the governor or other representatives. I just received a general email of nothing. Jeff, I haven't even received my stimulus check, much less unemployment. 855-616-1620. Carl and Jackson. Carl, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Carl. Hi, Carl. I'm in the same situation. Yes. I'm hey, in go the ahead. Same you're on situation. the air. Okay, we're here. I'm in the same situation the last gentleman was in. 
Uh, it's been about six weeks. I haven't received anything. Everything is hung up on a pending issue from my very first week of claim. And uh, probably called about 800 times and have had no, no resolution at all. And and no idea when you're going to get a resolution. So what so what happens when when you call? They just tell you that they're looking into it, or it's pending, or or something. Okay, this is what happens when you call. The first two and a half weeks when I did this, I had a notice on April seventh. Okay, and I um, I called immediately. They said there was a they needed more. They needed some uh, questions answered on my claim, my initial claim, my first week. Okay. And I called uh, immediately after that. They give you five days to get back, and it states on there, if you don't get back with them on this form, if you don't get back with the DWD, they're going to make a decision for you based on what they know. So they kind of create a frenzy for people to hammer these phone lines. You're thinking, well, crap, if I don't get a hold of them, you know, in these five days, I I may not get a claim. Yeah. So they created this frenzy. Now what happens, I've called. I started out maybe I do eight or ten calls a day. And with these eight or ten calls, I'd get an answering machine the first couple times. It would hang up. It would uh, it would load like it's going to leave you an opportunity to leave a, a message, and then it hangs up. Then after that, it hung up every time, every time. And then I contacted my... Uh, Assemblyman, my state, my state senator, right. and I. Two days later, I noticed. Well, you could get through to the answering portal. You could get through to that part. It would take a message, and it was very frustrating because you would never have a resolution. It would take a message, right. and I had one of the messages they had would take you as far as to prompt your social security number. Then you'd go through a menu of selections for which specialist you would need to talk to for your situation. Then you'd listen to two commercials, and then it would say, we're sorry, but all of our operators, all of our lines are oh at the limit to what you can say. And it would hang what, up. What a nightmare. I mean, seriously, what no. a th- 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 thanks for the call. I, I, I appreciate it. I want to get a couple more calls on this. But what an absolute total 100% nightmare that's out there and 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 i guess the the thing that really hits me is that there there are real people i understand carl is a real person there are real people that are experiencing this so when we hear well everybody's in the same pool together no we're we're not we're we're, we're just not and and can you imagine the frustration i don't know i get frustrated when i'm on the phone with the I don't know, with the, the, the cable place or with the, the newspaper or whatever, and you're just trying to stop the newspaper for a couple of days and you can't get through to a person, you know, and you're on hold forever. You, you get frustrated with that. Can you imagine the situation where you haven't, you're, you've got a legitimate claim, you don't have any sort of money coming in, you're owed six, seven, eight weeks, and you're in the situation where I'm calling time and time and time again and I'm getting hung up on. You know, okay, they've got to do better. They have to do better than this because, I mean, this is a real-world issue that's out there, and it's got to be dealt with. Corey in Milwaukee. Corey, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I'm a uh, finance guy at a uh, car dealership, which has been deemed essential, so I've been lucky enough to continue working. But what we've been seeing are people uh, bringing their vehicles in 
um, just selling them to us for cash. A lot of these people are furloughed or laid off until August, September. So they need money and their cars are just sitting there because they're not using their, you know, if they have more than one vehicle, uh, they're not using the other car to go to and from work. And so they're just selling the cars to us just to have cash to pay their bills to, you know, stay afloat. Well. What's the I, I'm, I'm being told that the used car market between like the rental car agencies that are essentially like like shut down and and what you're talking about. Um, I, I assume that is there are there a glut of used cars that are out there now? Um, I don't know if I'd call it a glut, but what we've seen is that the auction prices are way lower because obviously no one's buying any cars anymore. So the uh, you know, the prices have dropped uh, significantly. So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, but another thing that we're seeing is people that still owe money, people that yeah. have loans on their vehicles still, um, if they have positive equity in it, I mean, they're still doing that. They'll trade, the, they'll, they'll sell us the car, we have to pay the loan off, and then any extra money that, that's left over from the loan, they're, they're pocketing. And, right. Um, and it's just kind of weird. I've never seen it. Right. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've heard a, a number of those things as as well as people are, are, are searching to try to come up with the cash for things. I, I I know some people who worked in various capacities in the rental car industry, and of course that's that's another one of these industries that e- even though it's an essential business and can stay open, these rental car companies are just. I mean, they're just nobody's. I mean, if your business is renting cars at an airport for people who fly to Fort Myers, for example, or Orlando, well, there's nobody flying to Orlando, so they're not renting the, the cars. The, the industry has just cratered, and I know tons of people being laid off. Bottom line of this is we, we, we have to do better, and I, I do think there's just there, there, are, there are stories that are not being told in connection with the, the flip side of this, the economic fallout, and I am just constantly struck by the fact that people are, it's, it's more than just numbers of people who are unemployed or are filing claims. There, there's real people behind this, and there's real hurt behind this, and we, we gotta do better. We just have to do better. Let's take a quick break. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Say it with me, Moose. After giving up the lead in the ninth, Mike Moustakis and the crew came to bat in the tenth for a walk-off win in game one of the 2018 NLDS against the Colorado Rockies. Join us this Wednesday, 6 o'clock, as Bob Euchre calls another Brewers Classic. We're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Brewers Classic, sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Previa, Badger Mutual, Chevrolet, and West Bend Insurance. Okay, um, one of the things that I I guess informs some of the the positions I take on this is the fact that the the real world, is that COVID-19, coronavirus, isn't going anywhere in the near future. I mean, I, I look at the, these numbers, you know, week to week, and we're, we're testing more. Um, the good news is that hospital capacity in Wisconsin ha- hasn't been reached and isn't close to being reached. But, but, but COVID-19 isn't going anywhere. 
there are the more people we test, the more people that are going to come down and, and test positive. If you look at the numbers, and again, I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I send out, I do this every week. I look at the Saturday to Saturday numbers, and you see a dramatic increase in testing, but you also see an increase in the number of people who test positive. And and I don't I don't see that changing anytime soon. So to to me, it, it's all about managing managing risk, recognizing that there are going to be people that are going to be exposed to this until until you get a therapeutic and until you get a vaccine. And even after that, you know, people aren't going to take the darn vaccines. You know, we we, we talk to people. You know, I, I don't know. Once they come up with a vaccine, my guess is they'll be lucky if they get 60%. Lucky if they get 60%. So I bring this up solely because the, the reality is, COVID-19, which is not the flu, I understand that, but it, it's going to be with us for the foreseeable future, just like the seasonal flu is with us and just like, you know, other things are there. So to me, it's a question of, of how do you manage this? And if the light at the end of the tunnel is, gee, we're going to live in a world where there is no COVID-19, I, I don't know when that is, uh, but, but certainly it's it's not going to be this year it it might not be next year so it's all about kind of balancing and and managing risk and figuring out at least in my mind those people who are most vulnerable most likely to have the the really bad outcomes you know there's the they're the the folks that we have to spend most of our time protecting it's why we have to be smart i think and and look at okay where is this problem and who if they get it is it going to be something that's really, at least statistically, it's really a, a significant issue? But but at the same time, you got to balance, okay, what, what do we do if we understand that this is going to be with us for the foreseeable future? Which brings us to the question of, of schools. Now, the schools in Wisconsin and across the country in general, there's a couple states that are exceptions, have been closed since mid-March, approximately, right? And there's some schools that have done a very, very good job of of the virtual learning, you know, the, the online things. And there's some parents who've been, you know, very, very good and very meticulous about, you know, keeping their kids in the computer, in front of the computer for the four hours and then doing a, a, a version of, you know, helping work with the teacher to, to make sure the kids are getting, you know, schooled at home, not homeschooled, but schooled at home. And there's lots of other parents for whom it just hasn't worked. And we did a topic, I think, about a week or so ago. And as a matter of fact, I talked to a number of teachers who said, look, it's, it's very, very frustrating. This is not an ideal sort of situation. And the truth of the matter is there's some things that you can do over the Internet. You know, maybe you, you, know, you, you can use telephones to have conference calls. You can have the Zoom meetings, although I'm pretty much tired of the Zoom meetings right now. But you, you can do that. It's not as great an alternative as being in person, but, but you can make it work. And then there's the whole question of, of education. Story in the Chicago Tribune today, and they are, they are wrestling with the notion of, of can they open up the schools and under, under what circumstances. Now, the governor of Illinois has been incredibly restrictive, and he said schools aren't going to open up till we're at, at stage five. And, and stage five is pretty much we've got a vaccine for coronavirus. You know, that's, it, it's, it's pretty much that. But they're talking about, well, okay, we're, maybe these are some of the things that, that we can do. And, and what we can do is if we can't open up the schools to all the kids, five days a week, what we can do is maybe alternate. So 
let's say it's an elementary school, you know, grades one through six, just in my example. So we'll have first, third, and fifth graders. They go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one week, and then they go Tuesday, Thursday, the, the next week. Everybody wears face masks. Um, we, we, don't, we don't have a, a common cafeteria, so we don't allow the kids to mingle. We make the kids, you know, eat their, their lunches at, at their desks. And, of course, that raises issues about, you know, how do you, how do you deal with the, um, the, the kids that have the food allergies and things like that. But there, there are all these different options. And alternatives have real problems that, that are that are attached to them. I mean, how 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 do you do in-person instruction? You know, when you're again trying to make sure that you know people are, are absolutely safe. All right, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want you to look in your crystal ball because right now we are here. It is the what? This is May eleventh. So we're talking about we're in the second week of May. We have already seen most big summer activities where we would congregate in groups that they have that those activities have large has largely been canceled, whether it's the festivals or whether it's things like Fourth of July fireworks, all those different types of things. Typically around here we open up schools starting Sometime in August, and certainly by by after Labor Day, by after September 1st, pretty much everything is open. So that's May to June, June to July, July to August. 90 to 100 days, a lot of our schools under normal circumstances would be open. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we going to be able to realistically open schools in the fall? And if we do reopen them, what are they going to look like? I mean, are are we going to have, again, that's a class full of kids, everybody's, you know, we've got first through sixth grade, everybody piling in. Or we've got the high schools, we've got freshmen, juniors, sophomores, seniors, everybody together. Is that something that is realistic in the next 90 days? Or is it going to be something like everybody's wearing masks and we're going to stagger the start times and we're going to have people only being able to exit and enter through certain, you know, side doors so people don't have to mingle and we're going to have alternate days? I mean, seriously, what do you think this is going to look like 90 to 100 days from now? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's, you know, I mean, I understand that we're just starting to get into the summer. And believe me, I don't want to wish the summer away. But before you know it, you know, we're, we're going to be approaching the time when, when schools open up. And, and realistically, what is that going to look like? Are we going to be ready to say, okay, we've got... I don't know, a couple thousand kids that go to a, a particular high school, we're going to bring everybody back at, at once. I just, frankly, I, I don't see it, especially if my premise that COVID-19 is still going to be with us. I mean, we're still going to be getting reported cases um, it, through the summer, into the fall, through next winter, who knows how long. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What What is school? going to look like let's start with matt in elkhart lake matt you're on wtmj hi matt? um 
I just am curious about um, if it's going to end up into the semester breakdown on how much the semester costs, say $20,000. <laughs> Will schools be uh, giving discounts or any sort of different prices for it being online? Well, you're, so you're talking. You're not talking about high schools or, or elementary schools you're, or middle schools. You're talking about what's talking college going to look like, huh? Yeah, yeah. universities um, are and twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. No. Hey, thanks for calling, Matt. No, I mean that. That's see, that's a really good question. I mean that that's the same sort of thing. And you, okay. I mean, look at look at a lot of universities. They are they're mini cities. I, I mean, you know, you've got you you got people that are you know piling into the dorms and living in really close quarters with each other, or they're living in you know student apartments, you know, immediately off of campus, and people are moving around and going back and forth, and, and you know, I- interacting. Uh, very valid, and, and and the question you ask is something that a lot of universities are asking too, which is, okay, what what do we do? How do we do this? I've told this story before. My niece is going to be a senior at San Diego State. Um, they, they've been online learning for the last several months. She was supposed to do uh, a, a study abroad thing for her first semester. She was supposed to be in Spain, I think, and they, they've canceled that. But yeah, what what is what is that going to look like? And just a related issue, you know, college athletics, big, big thing. Well, okay, if, if you don't have the kids back on campus, how can you have the athletes back on campus? I mean, I, I don't know I don't know the answer to that. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, first of all, I think um, for, I'm, I'm talk, talking elementary, middle school, high school. College, they got their own problems. I mean, I have a, <laughs> right. I have a sophomore in college. That's a big deal. But I'm just thinking right. locally. First of all, they're going to be tested with, with a temperature before they enter school, and they're going to have certain entrances and exits and et cetera. Um, I think that the, the, the kids are going to stay in a classroom. The teachers are going to come to them. And this way they can do um, social contact. You know, they, if somebody, if there is somebody who gets it in the classroom, you can do social contacting and find out, you know, they've only been around those 30 people in class. They haven't been around hundreds. And so I think that's going to be a key as, as to not, not making them go all the way here and there and everywhere and if someone gets it now you got the whole school you're closing down but but how but how do you i mean and and i understand what you're saying but how do you work that out like on a high school level where everybody's taking different classes i mean where it's you know where you've where where the english classes and the math classes that i am in are different than the english classes and the math classes that my buddy evan is in how how do you you know how i i I mean i I agree with what you're saying i just don't understand how the logistics of that works if you make the teachers move and not the kids yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be difficult, and they're going to have to figure it out. But maybe the kids aren't going to be able to have as many different courses as they usually have and, and or something. Right. I, don't, I don't know, but yeah. I know for the elementary, that you could do and keep the kids in right. so that so yeah. the social contact is, is limited. Right. No, thank, thanks for calling. No, and I, I think, right, it, it's, I mean, right, and it gets more complicated as you, as you go up and the kids have the different classes. And, and, and that's why I think, you know, for, keep in mind for a lot of the elementary schools, it, there's just the one teacher. So you don't have the kids, okay, with the exception of maybe if you're going to, to art or, you know, gym or whatever, 
which is, and don't even ask me how you're going to be able to do gym classes moving forward, at least for the foreseeable future. So, I mean, I do think you're on to something. There's going to be something like that. I, I think don't be surprised if a lot of schools go to what they're talking about in Illinois, which is, again, these alternate day schedules, so you reduce the number of kids that are physically in the building. But I have two texts that make a, a great point. Okay, what about school buses? How are you going to get the kids there? I mean, we, and I wish I had the answers to this, but, I mean, it is a very practical problem. If you look at, for example, you know, New York City, where you had the, you know, one of the, there's a lot of reasons why New York City was the epicenter of, of all this. Many, the population density, but it was, it was the mass transit. It was, you know, people riding the, the same buses and they're riding the same subway cars and, you know, they're, they're touching these things. I mean, how, how are you going to do that? I mean, you know, you, I mean, I understand that you can try to sanitize these things as much as possible, but, but my goodness, you know, we're not letting, right now, you know, we're not letting more than one person, unless you're from the same household, ride in a darn golf cart. You know, how are you going to, how are you going to work these school buses that are out there? I just, I, I don't know how all this stuff is going to happen. Mike on the Northwest side, Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. My concern is, well, the social thing was is one thing, but my concern is uh, they can do all this stuff with the mask and the gloves and seat every kid at every other desk or whatever. That's all well and good, and uh, whether it works or not, it's up to people that uh, think it does or doesn't. But my concern is with all these reduced hours in homeschooling, I, you know, the schools have been getting dumbered down and the bar is getting lowered all the time. With all these reduced hours, I'm, yep. I'm kind of concerned about future generations of uh, how, are they, how are these people going to be uh, running the country and running our uh, society and, uh, you know, services and everything. It's kind well, of I mean, uh, scary so. in a way. No, no, I, no it, well, it, and, and hopefully this is temporary, but, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago we were, we were assuming that the schools were going to open up. It was going to be closer to, I don't know why we were making that assumption, but we, we were, that it was going to be close to normal. And then the issue was, okay, how do you deal with the last quarter that essentially been lost? The, the cl- more we get into this, and at least the more I think about it, I, I just, I don't understand how the schools are, are going to open up with any sense of what they, they used to be. And, and there, there's no great answer to this. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm a lunch lady at a high school. And they're really trying to figure all this out. No longer will kids be able to plate their own lunch. Masks, definitely. More lunch hours to bring down the number of kids in the cafeteria at one time. Uh, yeah, um, that, that's, I, I think, you know, that's, that's true. There's no question, you know, about that. Uh, the, right, the, right, the idea of like the, the salad bars, and, and I'm just here to tell you, grown-ups, kids, whatever, it, it's going to be a long time before, you know, we, we have these salad bars. Uh, Jeff, since kids seem to be least affected by COVID-19, why not send them back to school operating relatively normally as long as the school staff at risk is offered disability leave if they choose and families understand that risk at-risk adults have to maintain from the kids? Can't imagine anything else being workable. Otherwise, they'll have to stay closed and teaching virtually that that sounds great in theory but again then what what happens you're you're doing the temperature checks what happens when the first sixth grader or high school kid even though that's not where the the most vulnerable patient population is you know test positive what what do you do I, i wish i had the answers but this is this is a very real issue, and it's going to hit us a lot sooner than we think, given the fact that, again, we're going to have to figure out how to live with coronavirus for the 
foreseeable future. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, the breaking news today is that Jerry Stiller, best known and for his role as the, the father of George Costanza, the character was called Frank Costanza, on, on the TV show Seinfeld, uh, passed away at the age of... 92. Uh, ben, uh, Jerry Stiller, son of, of, he was the father of uh, Ben Stiller, who's done a number of the, the comedy movies and stuff. Before Seinfeld had a, a very interesting and varied career. He was a comedian that, together with his wife Ann Mira, there was Stiller and Mira, and they did lots of, lots of performances on variety shows and things in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And he really kind of had this rebirth as this character on Seinfeld that he's probably best known for. But he passed away at the age of 92. The interesting, the interesting story about that is if you, like me, are a, a Seinfeld fan, and by the way, I, I confess that one of the one of the things that I really misjudge is I liked Seinfeld when it was on, but I thought it was going to be one of these shows that really it, it was it was too topical and it, it wouldn't have legs. By that I mean that you know people would watch it and they'd enjoy it at the moment, but people wouldn't like it 10, 15, 20 years later. And boy, was I wrong on that. I mean, it, it's amazing how those those shows hold up and you know that the stuff that was funny 20 years ago is is still just as funny today and it's a show that has amazing longevity and i think will continue to be funny for the next 20 or 30 years but the interesting story is that the jerry stiller again who, who played george costanza's father frank and if you were familiar with the show part of the the, the thing that really made those characters work is that that his character frank costanza was a shouter and a screamer and the George's mother, who was played by um, Estelle Harris, she was a screamer too, and they'd yell at each other, and it was kind of like this manic sort of thing, and, and it really worked. And it just it the 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 things that he did were just absolutely hysterical. The way the character was originally written, apparently the the dad, the Frank Costanza character, was supposed to be a real milk toast who was like dominated by his loud you know bossy wife and, and that was the way they started doing it and they decided early on that the character just just didn't work that the stuff wasn't funny it wasn't shaping up and so apparently it was Jerry Stiller who said hey, how about how about we make the, this character we make Frank um, we'll, we'll make him the equivalent of his wife, and, and we'll do this, and we'll be screaming at each other and shouting. And they did it, and it turned out to be TV magic, just a, a completely um, unforgettable character. And, and apparently the inspiration or the idea as to how that character developed really came from from uh, Jerry Stiller, who was uh, quite a talented performer and did a lot of movies and did a lot of TV shows. But I think he's going to be perhaps best remembered for um that that role on Seinfeld and he deserves to certainly deserves to have that okay the, the, the jeopardy question you know in jeopardy you got the questions and the answers the jeopardy answer to this is because they can and because they don't think anybody's going to notice because they can and because they don't think anybody's going to notice so that's the that's the answer what is the question? The question is, why do people like Chuck Todd on Meet the Press feel it so necessary to bias their comments? And the answer is 
because they can and they don't think anybody is going to notice. Now, let me just say at the beginning, in, in today's day and age, especially in the Trump administration, Lord knows there's enough stuff that happens between like the president's tweets or certain things that get said at press conferences, etc. There's enough stuff that if you are a liberal commentator, you, you don't need to take stuff out of context. There, there's all sorts of stuff out there that you can point to and say, oh, OK, let's you know, let, let's comment on this. But because they can and because they don't think they're going to get caught, there, there is this continuing desire to take stuff out of context. Um, NBC is apologizing. Chuck Todd is not. But on, on Sunday, what happened is they were commenting on on Attorney General Bill Barr. And I, I guess I admit to being somewhat biased by this because back in the day when I worked for the Department of Justice, Bill Barr was the, the well, uh, Janet Reno was the last Attorney General I worked for, but I worked for Bill Barr. And I met him a couple times, and at least ba- back in the day, I always thought he was a straight shooter. I had a lot of respect for him. So I'm, I don't understand why he came back in a couple years ago. It, it, if I were him, I would have continued in the private practice of law. But he did, and I understand that he's a lightning rod for, for criticism. But nevertheless, I, I like him. I, I respect him. I think he's really, really smart. Well, okay, there's this huge controversy. And last week, Michael Flynn, who was the advisor to President Trump, who was who pled guilty to making false statements to the FBI, the Department of Justice tossed that case, finding that it was a, a biased prosecution that he was essentially set up. Okay, so they tossed the case. Very, very controversial um, that, that they ended up doing that. Well, anyhow, you know, Bill Barr gives an interview, and Meet the Press decides that they're going to run just a portion of the interview. And, you know, apparently there's an interview that he's giving, and, you know, they ask him how history would judge the decision to dismiss the Flynn case. And, and Bill Barr says, well, history is written by winners, so it largely depends on who's writing the history. And, and they play that on Meet the Press. And, and Chuck Todd, who is, of course, the host of Meet the Press, he, he stops the clip. He airs that clip. And he says he's struck by the cynicism of the answer. It's correct answer, but he's the attorney general. He didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law. He was almost admitting that, yeah, this was a political job. So you play this this one sentence, and then Chuck Todd takes his, his cheap shot. Well, what it turns out is that Meet the Press had really cut off the, the answer in in the middle. It was like a two-sentence answer. What Bill Barr had really said was, well, history is written by the winners, so it largely depends on who's writing the history. I think a fair history would say it was a good decision because it upheld the rule of law. It upheld the standards of the Department of Justice, and it undid what was an injustice. So that's his full answer. But by only taking the first sentence and then saying, well, this is this is just terrible. It's appalling that the attorney general would say this. It says nothing about the rule of law and not playing the, the rest of what he said, where he talks specifically about that. You really give a misleading impression. And again, it's, it's kind of like if you want to criticize, in this case, that the Michael Flynn decision, I understand that. And reasonable people can can disagree about whether it was the right thing or not. But 
Why do you feel so compelled to just create the, this misleading impression by interrupting the guy in the middle of his sentence and taking something completely out of context and then criticizing him for not saying something that he did say in that next sentence? It, it's that is, I think, the frustration that is out there. And I swear for some of these commentators, and it's going to get crazier as we get more and more in the election season, Lord knows on both sides, like I say, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, Lord knows that they give enough ammunition to the other side to criticize them without these people in the media having to, again, take something completely out of context and rip on them. NBC apologized for that be interesting to see whether Chuck Todd steps up, mans up, and acknowledges that you know he should apologize for what he did as well. And then, like I say, if you want to criticize President Trump for stuff or Bill Barr for stuff, Lord knows there's enough stuff that you can legitimately criticize him for without taking something completely and totally out of context. When we come back, all right, we talked about schools in the last half hour of the program. Another business that I don't know when and if it is coming back. We're going to take your temperature, no pun intended, on that. I will explain in just a moment. Hang around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Southeastern Wisconsin, well, it's open for business during these unprecedented times. It's more important than ever to support local businesses. Head to WTMJ.com right now, and you'll find a We're Open link on the homepage. You'll see a list of businesses in your community where your family, your friends, and neighbors are open for business. And if you're a business owner, you can head to WTMJ.com to add your business as well. Open for business from WTMJ. There are a number of businesses and industries that have been hurt by the spread of the coronavirus pandemic and government orders on showdowns, on, on shutdowns. There's also a number of businesses that have just been hurt because even though they're allowed to operate, people are choosing not to participate, like the, the, the hotel industry. Can you imagine trying to run a hotel nowadays? I mean, when people just aren't, aren't traveling or anything like that. I mean, the, the movie business, I mean, movie theaters are essentially shut down right now by government order. But one of the industries that has been absolutely, totally just destroyed by the coronavirus pandemic and government shutdown orders is is the music business, particularly the live music business. Now, th- this plays out on two different levels. First of all, there are a number of musicians, for example, the local musicians who cobble together a living by, you know, playing playing shows at, at coffee houses or playing shows in small venues and bars and things of that. Th- those venues are, are closed down, period. And so the, the, the musicians at the smaller venues, they, they just haven't had the places to play. And even when those venues start to open up, I guess the question's going to be, is it going to make sense? I mean, if you if you have a venue that seats maybe 150 people for like a live music thing, and you're going to be limited to the foreseeable future to only having 75 people or or 50 people in that venue that seats 150 or whatever, is it even going to make sense to open and have the music? Will you be able to to make enough money to hire the artist and the performer and all that? So you've got that impact on the, the smaller local musicians. You also have the huge impact on 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 the concert 
business, which, um, okay, the, the concert business, and I'm talking about the larger venues. I'm talking about the, the, the people that, that play at State Fair, the people that play at the Summerfests, the people that play at the Riverside, the, the bands that play at, at Miller Park. All, all those places where, you know, it, it is just, it, it's the exact antithesis of what you expect in, in the coronavirus world. I mean, I'm talking about like 25, 30,000 people descending, people sitting close to each other, people jumping up and down, people shouting and singing out the lyrics and expelling, you know, spit or, or whatever into the, this large group of people and people lining up to buy, you know, $16 beers and hot dogs and all those type of things. You know, the, the concert business is a very, very sort of interactive thing that depends on, and at least that the nature of it is, all sorts of people packed close together and cheering and yelling, etc. Now, in a number of states, it's been very, very clear that, that those gatherings aren't going to be allowed. If you look at, for example, the, the, at least the way it stands now in California and in, in Illinois, just to take two, you, you read what the governors are saying, and, and I don't think that I don't think events like large gatherings, like concerts, I, I don't think they're going to be allowed by the government. For, for probably at least a year. And, and that's just kind of, of the reality. They're probably not going to be allowed until you get a, a treatment or, or a vaccine. That's, that's just kind of the reality. They anticipate, I'm looking at something out of the LA Times today, that if, if shows are, are canceled for a year, the industry is probably going to lose about like nine B as in billion dollars. I'm I'm a I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan. I think if you're a regular listener, you know that. And you know he he typically starts his his tour. He tours from like April through October. You know, a uh, couple weeks on, couple weeks off. You know, the April shows, the May shows, the June shows have have already been canceled, and they're. And they're, you know, rescheduling some for July and August and September. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm looking at this tour schedule and I'm thinking, huh? We're already in May. I, I, can I really envision that by July we're going to be in a position where the, these venues are, are going to be open and you're going to be having? 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people piling in into these venues. And I guess I, I look at it, and my, my initial take is, I just don't see it happening. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let, let, me, let me just tee this up. And again, look into your crystal ball. Do you think, let's just say by the end of the year, do you think between now and here we are the second week in May and and the end of this calendar year, do you think there will be, you know, large concerts? Do you think that there will be acts that are, are touring? Do you think you're going to have, you know, music venues where anywhere from the seat, let, let's take one that seats 2,000 people up to, you know, some of the venues that, that Pfizer, for example, you know, that seats, you know, what, what 20,000 or so for a concert or or these larger stadiums. I, I just don't see the acts touring because I, I'm in some states, I don't think they're going to be allowed to open up. In other states, I think there's just going to be a question about will people show up? Will there be concerts as we know them 
in 2020, or is this something that maybe if we're lucky, they come back next year? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And as somebody who loves, 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 loves going to live music venues and, and seeing concerts, and who, who loves going and seeing some of the, the performers in the more intimate settings as well, I'm afraid it's just not going to be happening for the next seven months. Hope I'm wrong. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is back at the studio lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, the, the initial predictions were that, that the concert industry was going to take about a $9 billion hit now they're saying that they think it, it might be even worse than that. Let's start with Wendy in Oconomowoc. Hi, Wendy. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, we had tickets for Reba McIntyre in March, and it just got rescheduled for the Rush Center in July. Do you think it's going to happen? I sure hope so. Sick of this. Yeah. <laughs> Sick of the whole thing. Yeah. Do you, um, okay, would you have any, uh, so the Resch Center, that's about 5,000 people or so, or is it a little bit bigger than that? Correct. I think that's a, yeah, about 5,000, yeah. yes. It's the okay, only place, you, good place to be a concert. <laughs> would you have any hesitation in, in going? Absolutely not. Okay, now keep Absolutely in mind that you're going to. Okay. If you're afraid to go, you just don't go. Got it. Well, that, that's that's it. Um, thanks for calling. No, that that's, and, and I think a lot of people are like that. Look, I I don't I don't mean to be again the the coronavirus Kate here on on, on this type of thing. I, I'm just I'm thinking. Okay, we're May, June, July, and and like I say, a lot of these Buffett concerts they they've rescheduled some of them for July. I'm just I'm kind of skeptical. Um, I, you know, I just I, I'm wondering if. If these venues are going to feel comfortable saying, "Okay, we're going to we're going to put whatever the seating attendance is, whether it's two thousand or five thousand or ten thousand people, we're going to put everybody in here, and we're going to have everybody sitting close together, and we're going to have everybody standing up and cheering and and singing along to the songs and interacting." I I I hope it happens. I'm just I'm not sure. I I'm not sure. And th- these larger venues, you know, I, I just. I'm doubtful that this is going to occur, and I hate to say that, but I, I think that's just kind of the reality that, that's out there. And I appreciate that, you know, that Wendy wants to go and hopes to go, and, and that's great. And you would think that maybe it should be her decision as to whether to go or not. But I would not be surprised if, if this summer, at least, is completely wiped away. Okay, we're going to continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will we have quote-unquote concerts for any time in the next seven months and if, if so would you be hesitant to go i mean if you had if you had tickets to fiserv to see a, a show if you had tickets to the riverside to, to see a show knowing that you're going to be around hundreds probably thousands of, of other people most of whom are strangers you know are you going to be hesitant to go anytime soon 855-616-1620 which is the acunet mortgage talk and text line um if you're on the line please hold on we'll get you i promise back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner 
fascinating text. Before we go back to the phone lines, let me just take a couple, uh, share a couple texts with you. Jeff, government is the only thing stopping these events. We're talking about concerts at this point. We are Americans, and we will go out and enjoy life if they let us. Huh. Um, I don't know. Um, Jeff, I would go to a concert whenever, wherever that's permitted. Jeff, I have camping passes and tickets for Country USA, which is still on as far as I know. I would definitely go in August if it happens. Jeff, I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, too. Sadly, no. Think of the party before the show and all the shenanigans that share cups, shot glasses, uh, the bars, etc. Sitting so close in the lawn and reserved at Alpine. Any concert venue right now, in my opinion, is not safe until they find a vaccine. Fins up, my friend. Um, fins up to you as well. Jeff, the world will not return to normal until we have an effective vaccine. Hope it doesn't kill concerts, movies, sports venues, etc. Waiting for such a venue. Jeff, I guarantee if State Fair is open 10 days, it will be the biggest crowds they ever had. Guaranteed people will flock to it by August. People will be up to go out to do anything. Huh. I... I um, I don't know. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know what our sense is going to be by August and the large crowds. I mean, I, you know, we've discussed this before. If the NFL decides to play in September, I'm, I'm having difficulty picturing 75,000 people crammed together on those bleachers at Lambeau Field. But, uh, you know, maybe that's just me. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I love music. I go to probably three or four shows, um, and I go see bands and bars supporting local music all the time. We're not ready yet. I'm not going to wear a mask and stand next to somebody and be worried. It's not safe. It's not safe yet. Okay, you know, what, what is it have, going to... If, if they had a vaccine, it'd be different, you know, like the other okay. caller said. If, if they had a vaccine... Okay, so do you think, so is that is that your definition for normal? You don't think that you're going to be comfortable going back into the, the smaller venues or the, the larger venues until there's a vaccine? That's kind of your, your, your standard. standard. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because let's okay. say we go somewhere, we're not wearing masks, we're having a good time, and one of us gets sick, you know, oh, okay. and if we don't have a vaccine, we're just going back to where we were. Okay, thanks for the call, Todd. I appreciate it. And I, I mean, look, and there's, by the way, uh, unlike some of these coronavirus-related topics where I, I think there is a, a, I don't know if right or wrong, but there's a better that, or a worse answer, and I'm one of these guys who thinks that, you know, we need to be more aggressive in, in reopening businesses and allowing people to make their own choices, and that there doesn't mean that there, there, to me it's just crazy that you know we've allowed big box retailers and large grocery stores to be open at the same time. Small, told small shoe stores or whatever that you have to be closed. So, but but that's the government thing. That this is a different one. This is this is individual thought and how individuals feel. And this is a question of you know would you be comfortable going into you know these settings? Until there, there is a vaccine, Our, and Todd says no, he's, and and that that's I think there's going to be a lot of people that feel like that. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the point that, and, and seeing a lot of these venues, if if the idea is okay, well we're gonna we're gonna open up, but we're gonna limit it to the capacity. So the capacity is 
400 people, but we're only going to allow 100 people to come in, then the practical question is, okay, can the promoter make enough money to hire the band if, you know, if you're operating at a 25% capacity? So the economics of this might just say no, if, even if people were willing to come back. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Ted in Racine. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. What do you think about all this? Well, I'm a, uh, I'm 65. My kids are 25 to 35. They live. They don't live with me. Uh, we have season buck tickets, season other tickets. So, uh, and I enjoy going with them. But I would be willing to segregate myself on a on a broader question of opening venues that's what you're talking about where there's thousands of people to say 18 year olds who don't live at home who can't bring it back to older parents to maybe 25 30 let's say up to 40 year olds so we Mm -hmm. open up the economy all those venues for the next 60 days 18 not living at home i'm not sure how you enforce that to 40 year olds and let them go out. And, and you're thinking I, being that rat- we, we right now. And your thinking is because oh, well, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. And so I mean, I'll, your your argument being that, um, and I'm one of these people that preaches this that as a as a general rule, statistically, the people that have the worst outcomes from this are almost exclusively people who are older or who have significant pre-existing health conditions, 40%, you know, who live in nursing homes and things like that. So your idea is let the younger people. It's, fun, it's funny you mention that because there's a, there's a story I stumbled across today. I want to say it's in today's Wall Street Journal, but it could be somewhere else. I forget where I saw it. In, in Europe. That, that's that's how they tried to reopen. Like in France, France has had this really hard lockdown, and one of the ideas that they were throwing around is, okay, we're, we're going to start to reopen, but what we're going to do is we're going to direct the older people, and I think their thing was 65 and, and older. We're going to di- direct those people to stay under this hard quarantine and to stay at home, and, and we're going to let other people come out. Needless to say, there was a riot. <laughs> I mean, the, there was just this huge blowback to the point that they had to pull back on it because you had a lot of these people who were saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that. That just doesn't work. Okay, I, is the concert business going to continue to are we going to be having concerts that we can even go to over the course of the next eight months if you're on the line please hold on back with more calls in just a minute this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line jeff my friend group is is about 12 people Every single, every single one of us would attend Summerfest and State Fair without issue. Our average age group is probably between 48 and 60 years old. I also believe we are in the majority. Stay away if you're worried. Many of us are not. Unfortunately, I believe the squeaky scared wheels will make enough noise to keep these things closed for the foreseeable future. Would I go to Summerfest in September? Yeah, I, I, I'd have no hesitation. If, if State Fair happens, and I'm, I'm more as time goes on, I'm more and more skeptical about State Fair happens happening. But if State Fair happens, and our management said, "Okay, well, we want you to do a regular broadcast from State Fair, like you do every year, and that fishbowl and all," would do you have any problem doing it? My answer would be no. I, I have no problem doing it. Might I, I might change a couple things, but I, I 
I, I'd be back there. I, I'd be back there in a heartbeat. Um, at the same time, you know, if you were saying to me, do you want to go into a, a concert venue with? You know, thirty or forty other thousand other people. I, I don't know what the don't know what the answer would would be. Don't don't know. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Mike and Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Good good afternoon. Hey. Um, Hi, Mike. I would go. I would go now with no concerns. But I mean, I'm in my forties. Okay. I, I I take this a step further, though. I agree with most everything everybody said on both sides. I think. Um, I think actually the majority of people are going to want to go. But two things, I mean, first of all, all these things are insured nowadays. So imagine your insurance company in that conversation. Like, who's going to insure this risk? And then secondly, what performer wants to be the first adopter of this strategy and then it blows up in their face? I mean, then it shuts down concerts for a very long time. And so I think, I mean... I would go right now if a concert I wanted to go to was open, but I think there's no concerts for all of 2020. Um, and, you know, to the callers saying that they're not going back till there's a vaccine, I think that's a topic for you for another time because I don't know if there will be a vaccine. So are people going to literally change their life forever if no vaccines developed? I think, I think that's yeah. also an issue right. that's very, very influential and concerning. But for me, yeah, I'm ready to go back and get on with life because that's how I view it. But, um, I don't see any concerts this year. I really don't. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Very, very thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. People, you don't know if there's going to be a vaccine or, or, or when. And I, I just I brought this up last week. The fastest we have developed a vaccine for something was mumps, and that took four years. Now, I, I understand it's the last 50 years have been advances in medical science, but for, for people who think that, oh, gee, you're, you're going to have something by the end of the year, no, that's, that's why I... I I talk about constantly, and I always get these these nasty notes saying, "Oh, you don't care if people die." No, I do, but but it is a question of, of again managing risk. It's why I sent out a link to what I thought was just a great piece in the Chicago Tribune today, and you can get it if you follow me at Twitter at, at Jeff Wagner six twenty, talking about the the need to balance risk given the reality that I don't think COVID nineteen is going anywhere and anytime soon. And as we get more testing, you're going to get more positive results. And to me, like I say, the the whole emphasis on this has to be among protecting the most vulnerable and recognizing that the people are going to get it and they're going to get sick and for most people they're going to get better and, and so let's try to keep it out of the nursing homes and keep it out of the the areas where the people who if they get it they're going to mo- be most likely to have a very bad result but to his point and it's an excellent one um some of the major promoters are are, are canceling like you know t- different different groups tour but but they don't tour themselves. They, for example, they've signed contracts or they have deals with with major promoters. Like I think Live Nation, for example, is the one that runs you know Alpine Valley. So you know they're the ones that do the bookings and things like that. And and the bands have deals with okay, Live Nation is going to be the promoter and they're going to put you in these different venues. Live Nation is is canceling tours. I mean, Live Nation is the one saying like we're not going to send our performers out on the road. I think probably for exactly the point that he he was making there which is they, they don't you, you don't want to be the first one you don't want to say okay we've we've just had a jeff and grew concert it drew twenty five thousand people and all of a sudden you know four thousand of them came down with covid19 you know that you don't you don't want that now i'm not saying it's likely to happen or not but you don't want that to be 
You, you don't want that to be the case. Now, I, again, I, I think that that's probably an unlikely scenario. We were able to stage an election in early April here, regardless of the merits of that, but by people practicing social distancing and things of the like, all these dire predictions of people catching COVID-19 and people dying, it just didn't come true. But but that that's going out to vote. That's different than going to a show. Cheryl um, in Monroe. Cheryl, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. What do you think? Um, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about um, too many, a lot of things. However, um, you know, there's, you know, until I do, I, I truly believe the last caller when he said, until we get a vaccine, um, you know, you've got people wearing masks. You don't have people wearing masks. You've got, you know, mm-hmm. states like Illinois that are mandatory or Wisconsin is right over the border. You know, people people aren't fenced in. They travel back and forth all over. You know, so unless they either, and I understand, I mean, I don't like wearing a mask either, but, you know, until they get a vaccine, you know, they're either, what they should either mandatory, everybody wearing a mask when you walk out the door. Well, let me ask and, you this. So do, do you anticipate, think about yourself, if they're, who, think about whoever your favorite performer is, somebody that you've you know, always wanted to see in concert or regularly see in concert. Um, they've got a show coming near you to a venue. Do you anticipate, would you go uh, before no. they have a vaccine? I'll right now, no. no. <laughs> okay, no, no, okay. Th- I guess I, no, thanks for calling. Sure. I have, yeah, I have too much, you know, I have too many people that rely on me that I'm not going to risk you know, okay. I'll play the song on my on my phone if I want to hear something that bad. But to you know, and I'm not saying you're going to die, but um, you know, we're you I'm not old, sick. but I. Pardon me. You don't want to get sick. You don't want to get sick. I, exactly. I get it. You don't. You don't want to take exactly. the risk. Right. Okay. So right. if we if we don't get a vaccine for two or three years, that that's uh-huh. you you you're you're just willing to you're willing to give up something that you enjoyed. You're you know going to a venue like that. You're willing to live with not going there for a couple of years. If okay. if we're a couple of years off. I just I sure hope it doesn't take that long. I really don't. I mean, I have yeah, a lot can. of faith in the scientists. I really do. Um, you know, and I'm sure there will be something hopefully soon. But, you know, and, I, and also I see people becoming, you know, this is getting, and with the weather becoming nicer and summer's coming, and they're just really becoming more laid back and like, you know what, nothing's going to happen to me. And I see more and more people out doing their normal life. Okay. But then in the okay, back of their head, we're like, okay. Right. I'm sorry, sir. I got to let you go because I'm, I'm kind of up against the clock. I apologize. But yeah, no. I, well, I, I'm the guy who says I think there's. I think we're we're in quarantine fatigue, and I, I think there's going to be incredible pressure to to balance the the risk, which to me is what this has got to be all about. It's it's balancing the risk. We'll be back and find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's afternoon news in just a minute. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.